Well, good morning. All right, it's good to see you and hear from you. Welcome to those of you joining us online as well. Good morning, Grajimakuts. Good to see you. You are spreading your wings and going off into the wide world. And as you grow up into adult, you are free to get a dinosaur shirt, just like this. It's your choice. It's your prerogative. No one can tell you otherwise. I am uh, glad to be with you this morning. My name's Chad Myers. I'm our adult discipleship director. Week two of Mark My Words, where we are looking at phrases that people say today, and maybe they just throw around, and it's not just that they didn't know it came from Jesus, but maybe they're misusing it. And maybe they're even misusing it in a way that isn't very helpful. And so today, we are dealing with the phrase, turn the other cheek. Last week, Jeff did a great job dealing with wolves in sheep clothing. And today, we're gonna deal with turn the other cheek. And it's important to say what it does mean, but I think it's also important to say what it doesn't mean. In fact, that's where I see this one get used a lot. You know, something like this. Uh, Your kid comes home from school and Billy the bully I don't know why bullies are always named Billy, but they are. And your kid, Johnny, comes home. I don't know why Johnnies are always innocent, but they are. Johnny comes home to you and he says, hey, at recess, Billy hit me in the face. Do you say to little Johnny, okay, well, tomorrow if he does that and he hits you in the face, I just want you to look at him and go ahead and say, give it to me right there. Is that how it's really used? Turn the other cheek? Maybe you have a coworker and they keep insulting you and they keep running you down and it's kind of starting to feel like harassment in the workplace and someone says to you, well, this is just a great opportunity to turn the other cheek. Really? Is that what it means? Or more seriously, someone's in a very harmful relationship, an abusive relationship even, and someone says to them, maybe even pastors and teachers say to them, well, this is an opportunity to turn the other cheek. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that's what Jesus was getting at. So what is he getting at and what does it mean for us? How do we approach the text today? Let's look at Matthew 5, 38 through 42. This is our primary text today. I'm gonna read it and then I'm gonna keep referring to it. So if you have your Bible or your uh, uh, device, electronic device, you can turn there, stay there. We'll keep going back to Matthew 5, 38. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Heavenly Father, we need your wisdom. We need your insight. We need your Holy Spirit to speak and give us clarity and confidence in how to apply this to our own situation. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Growing up, uh, me and my brothers, we had a BB gun. And it was a black little pistol BB gun. It was just an a air pistol. You could pull back the chamber and put a BB, gun, a BB in it or a pellet in it. And it would just kind of one shot. They even made little darts for these things. This little sharp pointy dart with feathers in the back. You could put in a BB gun and shoot it. It's amazing. Kids from the 80s are still around today, right? I mean, we drank out of water hoses and stuff and, and rode our bikes without helmets. It's a whole nother world. That's beside the point. So we had this BB gun and we would shoot it out in the backyard. We'd shoot at cans and other things and we'd shoot at birds occasionally. We weren't supposed to, but we did. And we grew up in West Texas. So my dad taught us, you know, gun safety. Okay, if, if there's an imaginary line, nobody gets in front of the line, just the shooter. And then you put the gun down and go get the target and all that stuff and never point a gun 
you know, in anyone's direction. We were, we were taught all these rules, but we were boys in West Texas. So we were out in the backyard one day and we were shooting the gun and, you know, playing around. And my, my brother's two and a half years older than I was. And I was in third grade and I turned my back on my older brother, mistake number one. And I was walking away to go inside the house and all of a sudden I hear this little air pistol shot. And then I feel something hit my back and then it stings. And I, ow, you just shot me with a BB gun. And so I did what every younger sibling has learned to do over the course of history. I played the trump card and I looked at him and I said, I'm gonna go tell mom and dad. So I began to walk inside the house and he looked at me and said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't go tell, don't go tell. And I turned around and he looked at me and he said, I'll let you shoot me back. <laughs> now we're talking. So I loaded up that BB gun and I made him turn around and I fired right back at him. I did not take the opportunity to turn the other cheek. When we are hurt or offended or we're insulted or injured, it is our natural stance to say, oh, I can't believe you did this to me. I'm gonna pay you back. You're gonna get what's coming to you. I'm gonna take revenge. And, and it can happen in the blink of an eye. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna plan this thing out. It's just, oh, you hurt me and I'm going to retaliate. But does retaliation lead to redemption? Does it really? We know retaliation leads to escalation. We see this all the time. Retaliation leads to escalation, but does retaliation lead to redemption? And what is Jesus really talking about when he says, turn the other cheek? Most of us will not get slapped in the face. We won't. So we won't have an opportunity to try to literally live out these words, turn the other cheek. But we will face verbal slaps. You've heard the phrase, that's like a slap in the face. When someone insults us, when someone name calls us, when someone puts us down or gossips behind our back or betrays our confidence, when someone accuses us, you ever been accused? You know what that feels like to be accused? Accusation is the language of the devil. And so when we get accused, ah, this pain, it hurts. And that's more like the arena that we're gonna face on. What does it mean to retaliate, not retaliate or turn the other cheek? And we see this very quickly on social media. Any of you heard of Godwin's Law? Godwin's Law was, uh, it was Mike Godwin. He was an attorney in 1990. And he said this in 1990. He said, if, you, if there is um, hostility on the internet and a matter of comments and it goes on long enough, it's going to eventually happen that one of the parties will compare the other party to Hitler. Godwin's Law. You look around today and it's happening like this. And some of you, this is the arena that Jesus is speaking into. What will you do? Will we retaliate, which we know leads to escalation? But does retaliation lead to redemption? It's credited to Gandhi that he said, an eye for an eye leads the whole world blind. And I think this is a good opportunity for the church today to say, you know what? It does seem like everyone around us is losing sight and maybe we are too. How about we shine a little bit of light and let us help people see? 
So this passage starts off with, you have heard that it was said. Well, what's he talking about? Where was it said? Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. He's quoting Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And I am passionate about how the Bible fits together and how the Bible's cohesive and it's one big overarching story. So what Jesus is definitely not doing here is he's saying out with the old in with the new. He's not saying, well, that's Old Testament law and New Testament's all grace. And that's a different God and that looks very different. And this is a, a new era. He's not saying that. The New Testament grows out of the old. And in fact, he says just before this, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so sometimes we get this perception that, well, the Old Testament was all about law. New Testament's all about grace. But what was the context in which this was spoken? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Let me tell you this. Because anytime we look at the scriptures, we have to ask ourselves, what's the context? What's the background? Who was speaking? Who were they speaking to? And how, did, how would they have heard it? The context for this is in the civil courts. It's in the civil courts. You see, the, the Jews were, were ruled by God and they had the law given to them so that they could live as a redeemed community and shine God's light to the nations around them. And they needed some governing laws, some governing rules. And so this was spoken to the leaders to bring justice for the people. Let's say that, you know, someone stole your goat. That's like stealing money back in the day. Right, someone steals your goat, they steal your livestock, they take your property and you go and present it to the courts. Well, eye for eye and tooth for tooth is for the judge to consider how do we bring justice in this situation? And it's our job to bring justice. It was never meant to be for personal vengeance. In fact, the Old Testament condemns personal vengeance. Just let me read a few passages. They may shock you that they're actually in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. Ooh, that's a tough one. Or bear a grudge against anyone among your people but love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is actually quoting Leviticus 19 in his commandment. Proverbs 20, 22, do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. Proverbs 24, 29, do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. You see, the Old Testament ethic is filled with grace. Don't take vengeance. It's not for personal vengeance. You've been injured. Some wrong has been done to you. That does not give us right to retaliate. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, but the problem is this. The leaders at Jesus' time, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were lifting the text from the context and using it for their own personal gain getting a bad application. And Jesus said, oh, I've got to fix that for sure. He said, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. What does he mean? If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, and why is he so specific, slaps you on the right cheek? We've come to a place in the sermon I like to call the art of the slap. Can I get a volunteer up here, please? <laughs> yeah, they laughed in the first service too. Nobody raised their hand. Okay, fine, just get a partner. Just get a partner then. I'm kidding. Let me break this down. Why does Jesus say, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, this is incredibly important for what he's trying to get at. That was a right-handed culture in that time, so they would have used their right hand to do the majority of amount of daily activities. If someone were to strike someone with the, with the right fist, where would that have landed? It would have landed on the left cheek, Okay. I know this is hard. I get, some people said afterwards, I got confused by your, all your you know, slapping and hitting and stuff, right? Hey, Johnny, what'd you learn today? Um, how to slap someone on the cheek, right? 
If someone struck you with the right fist, it would have landed on your left cheek, but they wouldn't have struck you with the fist because that would have meant you're an equal. Okay, so next alternative. I'm gonna open hand slap you with my right hand because that's the hand we use. Open hand slap would have landed on what? Your left cheek still. Okay, so now we gotta get to the right cheek. So what can I do? I can use my left hand to open hand slap you, but the challenge is in that culture, the left hand was used for unclean activities and it was considered unclean. Just like many parts of the world today, they don't shake hands with the left hand, they don't eat with the left hand. So if I were gonna use my left hand to slap your right cheek, that would mean I would be doing an unclean action to you and I wouldn't do that. So the only alternative to slap you on the right cheek is to take my right hand across my body and backhand you is to backhand you across your right cheek. And in order for that to happen, that would mean I am in a position of authority above you and my intention is to insult you and to humiliate you. It's not a fist fight. It's an insult. It's a put down. It's a cut down. My purpose is to make you feel small and worthless. And in the Greco-Roman backdrop, the people that could do that were masters to slaves, husbands to wives, fathers to children, and Romans to Jews. And it's intended to put you in your place and make you feel shame and humiliation. So we may never get slapped in the face, but I can imagine that every one of us knows exactly what that feels like man, woman, child. We all know what humiliation feels like and when someone is intending to make us feel small and live small and hurt us. One of the greatest tragedies of this passage is that it has encouraged people to continue to be a doormat in their lives, to not stand up for themselves, to not take ownership of their story, to not feel the worth that they are intrinsically valuable because, simply because they're created beings and yet even more valuable because Jesus died on the cross to redeem his creatures. And one of the tragedies of this is it has kept people in abusive and harmful situations when they were not meant to be. And here's the reality of this, and I say this gently to you. You and I might be the victim, but we don't have to play the victim. You and I might be the victim, but we don't have to play the victim. Now you say, well, whoa, hold on a second. How'd you get there? Where'd you jump to that? Well, there's three examples in this passage. Listen carefully. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, a, a Roman soldier could have forced a Jew to go one mile with their heavy military pack, and they would have had to do it by law. So guess what? All three instances is someone is doing something to you that is wrong. You're, you have been transgressed against the boundary of your humanity, emotionally, spiritually, physically, you have been sinned against. Someone has violated your dignity and they've crossed a line. And what does that make you by default? A victim. I have sexual abuse in my childhood. You have other things in your story. People have hurt us. People have said things to us. People have spoken words to you that were never intended to be spoken to you. We know what it feels like to be a victim, but we don't have to play a victim. We don't have to remain there. We don't have to stay there. In fact, in order to turn the other cheek, you must refuse to play a victim. 
Because here's often when I wanna play a victim, when you hurt me, when my spouse hurts me, when anyone close to me hurts me and I wanna play the victim, here's what I do. I'll just keep presenting the same cheek. See, when I wanna play the victim, I keep giving you the same cheek. That's why I'm not turning the cheek. I keep giving you the same cheek. Oh, okay, you continue to humiliate me. You continue to injure me. And then guess what? That gives me some sense of power because now I can hold on to resentment and I can hold on to bitterness and I know exactly who the good guys and the bad guys are in this story and you're the bad guy and I'm the victim. That's a hard one to change. But Jesus says, Of course, if you've been transgressed against, you're a victim, but that doesn't mean you have to play the victim. Sometimes there are situations and circumstances and people in our life, and they are there to teach us that we need to grow a backbone and say, no more. That's not okay. I'm not okay with that. You see, we can have a posture of non-retaliation and set a boundary. We can have a posture of non-retaliation and say, yeah, this isn't a good situation for me. I need to get out of it. This friendship has become toxic and I'm just gonna have to part ways with it at least for now. Or we can have a posture of non-retaliation and say, this is just a bad work environment for me and I would like to pursue my dreams and chase my story and do something different. We don't have to do retaliation to do all those things. And we can stand up for ourselves and find our voice and own that place without playing the victim. God says, I don't want you to do that anymore. You see, I don't want you to keep presenting the same cheek, to keep being humiliated. And in order to turn the other cheek, we have to refuse to play the victim. But that's not all he's saying. That's not all he's getting at. That's one thing he's getting at. And that's, there's those of us in this room that need to hear that. But he's also saying something else. And, and Peter and Paul take up on this passage. You see, this is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was a good rabbi, and you guys have been in school, or maybe some of you in school, and you, you wonder to yourself, why does this professor, or this teacher always repeat themselves? You know what I mean? They have their phrase, they have their theme, and they're just harping on that, that melody, and it's never ending. Well, Jesus was a good rabbi, and most scholars think that he would have taught the Sermon on the Mount 15 to 20 times. He had a body of curriculum that he is trying to get across and he's trying to get his hearers to ingest it so that it might bring about life change. And so he's repeating these phrases, repeating these stories, repeating these principles over and over and over again. And Peter and Paul pick up on this and they almost echo somewhat verbatim what Jesus says. Look at 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Where is he lifting this from? On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Don't repay insult with insult. Don't repay evil for evil. There are those of us who need to learn to grow a backbone and try to move forward. And there are those of us who think we have a backbone, but we just keep retaliating all the time. That's not a very strong backbone. It's more fragile. When you see this happen, when this plays out, and if you have like, Sixth graders or siblings, this plays out quite a bit. If you see someone insult somebody else and you see somebody retaliate and then you see it's gonna lead to escalation and any of you who are married, you know how you get there in about two minutes. You're like, how did we turn this into a big old fight all of a sudden? Well, it's retaliation. But if you see this play out, you're not very impressed. You think, well, anybody could fight back. Anybody could you know, say, I'm gonna one-up you or I'm gonna burn you or I'm, I'm gonna put you in your place. Anybody can hit back. That doesn't take a very strong person to do that. But when you see somebody who's really insulted and really humiliated 
and you see them in a sense turn the other cheek and they walk away and they're not retaliating, you think to yourself, that's real strength. That's real groundedness. That person is very secure in their identity. That person seems to be grounded on something bigger than themselves, larger than who they are. Peter says, don't repay evil with evil. Repay evil with blessing because retaliation leads to escalation, but non-retaliation can lead to redemption. Recently, we, uh, we celebrated Jackie Robinson Day. Jackie Robinson, the famous baseball player who was, is primarily known for breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball, he played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, number 42. You may have seen the film. Uh, there's a few books out now. There's another documentary out that is, is really, really good. And when he came over, uh, uh, Branch Rickey was a, the Brooklyn Dodgers manager, and he saw Jackie Robinson play, and he said, I want to bring this guy over to the Major League Baseball and play in this league. And he brought him over, and he set him down. He said, I want you to play for the Dodgers, but here's something you are going to have to know. You are going to face incredible obstacles, people on your team and in the stands and other coaches and uh, opposing teams and other managers and waiters and waitresses, they are going to insult you. They are going to scream hateful things at you. They are gonna humiliate you. They are gonna try to hurt you and put you down and you cannot fight back. You can't do it. And he was right. And in fact, the only reason the movie 42 is rated PG-13 is because of the level of insults that they hurled at Jackie Robinson. And he was right. And what most people don't know is actually Jackie Robinson was a Christian and he had a very strong faith and he knew exactly what passages we're talking about today. He knew Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek. He knew 1 Peter, don't repay evil with evil, but repay evil with blessing. People tried to hit him in the head from the mound to injure him. And he didn't fight back because he knew the way forward was redemption. Retaliation would have led to escalation, but the way forward was redemption. In fact, one of the first things that Branch Rickey said to him when he met with Jackie Robinson, and maybe you know this quote, it was this, I'm looking for a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. Anybody can fight back. That's not real strength. I'm looking for a ball player with guts enough not to fight back. I wonder if God is surveying the landscape of the church right now saying, I'm looking for a Christian with guts enough not to fight back. If we really are the redeemed community and we really are supposed to be countercultural, I think this is a very difficult thing to do today in a world that seems to be filled with verbal violence and hostility, what if we led the way with turning the other cheek and said, yeah, I may need to set a boundary or I may need to get off that platform or whatever it may be, but I don't have to retaliate. So in order to turn the other cheek, you must refuse to play the victim, but in order to turn the other cheek, you must refuse to create a victim. You see, because when I'm insulted or when something is lodged at me and I retaliate, what do I do? What am I doing in that retaliation? I am transgressing their boundary and I'm causing them to be a victim then. If you watch football at all, you know this to be true in a very practical way and it's infuriating if this is your team. And it's mostly linemen, mostly this happens to linemen. 
because they're, you know, hitting each other all the time. Every play, their hands are all slapping in their face. They're getting up under their face mask. I could never make it as, I could barely make it as a water boy in the NFL. But uh, they, they, this happens, and, and you, see, you see they finally get frustrated. Maybe it's towards the end of the game, and they take a cheap shot. One guy takes a cheap shot, and he hits him in the face mask, gets up under, you know, frustrates the guy. And, and, and it's a penalty, but the flag isn't thrown. You know what's coming. And the other guy's just had enough. And so he takes his hand and he just hits him. And then the flag is thrown and it's your team. And you're like, but wait a second. Didn't you see the first guy? That should have been called. But it's not. And you're so frustrated because retaliation, you see it happen and it created the victim. And the first guy's like, I, I didn't do anything. I didn't touch him. He did it. And when we retaliate, we simply escalate the violence. We simply escalate the defensiveness. We simply escalate the moment. And now there's all sorts of violent energy going on right here. Retaliation leads to escalation. Non-retaliation leads to redemption. Jesus says, I, I, I don't want you. Some of you need to grow a backbone, but some of you have a backbone, but it's not very strong because you think retaliation is the way forward, but it's not, but it's not. He says, I don't want you to go about retaliating. Why though? What's so important about it? Let's continue the passage, Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Not in the Old Testament. He's talking about the Pharisees. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what's up, my people? What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And all my perfectionists said, yeah, no, he's not saying that to you. Sorry, I tricked you on that one. Why is it so important that the redeemed community of faith live out a posture of non-retaliation in this world? It's so important because this is who God is. This is the character of God. This is the heartbeat of God. Jesus illustrates it with this. In theology, we call this common grace, that God makes the sun to shine on the good and the evil. God makes the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked. God gives good marriages, decent parenting. God gives food and fun and pleasure and all sorts of common grace to people who don't give two thoughts about him, to people who curse him. He provides for this is who God is. And when we act like this, it gives credibility to our creeds. We say we believe this. We believe in a God who paid the price on a cross and didn't retaliate. But then we go around eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It undermines our testimony. It undermines our witness. And people say, well, you're just like everybody else. I'm sorry. I'm working on that. May God give me grace to turn the other cheek. We look at Joseph in the Old Testament. This is all throughout the scripture. You look at Joseph in the Old Testament. His brothers sold him into slavery, told a lie to their father, and they thought, he thought 
that he was dead. Joseph winds up then in prison and then second most powerful person in Egypt. And then guess what? His brothers don't have any food. So they come crawling into Egypt and crawling right into Joseph's presence. And Joseph, we would say, well, you got every right. Let them have it. Let them, make them pay, punish them. And Joseph weeps and he forgives them. He doesn't say, I'm just gonna sweep it under the rug. It's fine. He says, you meant it for evil. It was wrong, but God used it for good. David is the next king in line. And Saul is jealous of David because he's young and he's good looking and all the ladies are all singing songs about David and David's strong, a military hero. Every guy wants to be him. And so Saul's really jealous and he lets that jealousy turn into murder and he tries to kill David. And in fact, he's going on a manhunt for David. David's having to hide in caves and he hides out in a cave and Saul just shows up and, and Saul doesn't know David's there, but David's men are talking to David in his ear. There's your chance. He's tried to kill you. Take him out. David says, no, I'm not gonna touch the Lord's anointed. It's not eye for eye. I'm gonna turn the other cheek. That's why David's called a man after God's own heart. That's why he's one of the greatest kings in all of Israel and who the Messiah was patterned after. And then you got Jesus on the cross par excellence. God suffering and dying. Isaiah 50 says they pulled out his beard, they struck him in the face, they spit on him, they insulted him, they reviled him. And he went like a sheep to slaughter and he didn't cry out. He didn't retaliate. And we don't retaliate because God doesn't retaliate. This is who God is. And when we live that well, not perfectly, but when we live it well, it causes the watching world to take notice because that's real strength. That's real groundedness. But what practical effect does it have on others? Well, it's possible that non-retaliation invites self-examination. Let me say it negatively. Retaliation doesn't invite self-examination. Did you notice on the cross, Jesus not retaliating, but digging deep into his identity. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Abba, into your hands, I give you my spirit. And one of the Roman soldiers, after he had insulted and crucified the son of God, what does he say? Huh, truly this was the son of God. But if Jesus had retaliated, he would have had no room for self-examination. He would have had no room for self-reflection. You see, when we retaliate, what do we do? It just escalates and the other person's defenses get up and the other person's thinking about how they're gonna win and we're thinking about how we're gonna win and we're thinking about how we can get ahead of them and put them down and use everything against them to punish them. And it doesn't invite self-examination. No one's ever gonna think about their actions as long as they're thinking about winning the fight. But when we turn the other cheek, then they're left with, well, what kind of person would do that? And then they're left with, well, what kind of person am I? And non-retaliation leads to self-examination. It gives some space for God to work. Paul says it like this in Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. But leave room, but leave room, but leave 
room. Some of us are so internally in pain right now because we've left no room and we're taking every chance we can for vengeance and retaliation. Paul says, but leave room for God's wrath for it's written, it's mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Non-retaliation gives God room to work. It gives God space. You see, when I'm grounded in him and I don't give in to the temptation to fight back and I turn the other cheek, I walk away, I put, I put the phone down, take a day before I respond. I say to myself, That's, uh, that email was coming in hot. I'm not gonna fire back. I'm gonna sit for a while and maybe process it with somebody. Might respond later. We take some time, we get away, we pray, we get settled. Because insults rattle us, they do. We need to take some time to get away. But then we give God room to work. And we say, you know what? I'm not gonna retaliate because that would just close my heart. That would just make my heart a little bit more hard. I would just be thinking about how I'm gonna win and I'm gonna close up a little bit. And when I close up, I push God away. So I'm gonna give God room here, but I'm also gonna give God room there. I don't know what you're doing in their life. I don't know what kind of stress they're under. I don't know why they fired off like that. But I'm gonna pray for them, like your scripture says. And in that prayer, I'm gonna turn the other cheek and I'm gonna invite you to bless them. Friends, this is not easy stuff. You know this. It's impossible were it not for grace. But when we walk like Christ in that, it gives God room to work. And it gives God room to work now or it gives God room to work then because God is a just judge. But you and I both know deep down He's the only one wise enough and patient enough and skilled enough to bring about ultimate justice. So we leave room for him. About seven years ago, we're coming up on seven years, down in Charleston, a shooter walked into a church. They were gathered there to pray and he killed nine people. Nine people who went to the safety of their church that night to fellowship, to be with each other, to be encouraged, to pray and lift their burdens to God and to be in the presence of God. Their lives were taken from them. 48 hours later, in a courtroom with Dylan Roof, the shooter, and the friends and families of those who had died, the judge says to the friends and families, I would invite you to make a statement if you want to to the shooter, to anyone here. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them took the microphone. And you know what they said? They looked at Dylan. They said, I forgive you. You took something from me that was very precious and I'll never get it back, but I forgive you. That's strength. That's grounded in Christ. That's leaving space for God to work. And friends, that's turning the other cheek. May God give us grace and wisdom to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, at first glance, we look at this phrase and we think, oh, well, that seems pretty surface. Or maybe it's even simple. But your word is deep 
a lot more nuanced than we often know and realize. And so when we look at it a little bit harder, we realize here's some real medicine for humanity. Some of us are in this room and we've allowed ourselves to be in situations for far too long. We didn't want to speak up because we were afraid, afraid to rock the boat, afraid of repercussions, afraid of what could happen. But Father, I pray today you would give us supernatural strength in the Holy Spirit to say, not anymore. I don't exactly know how this plays out. I don't exactly know the way forward, but not anymore. I'm not a doormat. I'm worth more than this. Even if it's just a conversation, I pray for the courage and faith for those of us here that need to do that. Father, there's those of us here also who we didn't realize that we had a spirit of retaliation. We didn't realize that we were closing our hearts, but now it's clear. And we thought those little spats and the significant relationship was their fault and we haven't taken responsibility, but now it's clear. We haven't really shown true strength. We might've thought we were taking the high road, but really we were just filled with self-righteousness, but now it's clear. Help us. Help us to be humble. Help us to be strong. Help us to really say, you know what? Today's the day I refuse to retaliate. And Father, for the watching world around us who may insult us, who may call us names, who may think that we have strange ideas or backwards or oppressive ideas, I pray that you would give us grace to have open, honest, humble discussions with a posture of non-retaliation as we try to present the truth in the best way we can. Lead us today. We definitely need you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. We're gonna close in one worship song. We're gonna lift up the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who had perfect strength and humility to hang on a cross and not retaliate so that he could provide redemption.